Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Matthew 28, 18-20 Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you need a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, as it says right there. Uh, anybody else need a Bible? So we're, we're still in this series called Your Verse, and again, it's the, there are these verses that we would hope you would commit to your memory, so we do have some memory cards as well, and we'll pass those out at some point, uh, but that you might draw upon these verses for guidance throughout your days and hopefully throughout your life. Um, so this week, we're going to get right into the passage and dissect it a little bit, and uh, ultimately, we're going to... I'm going to back up a little bit and go to actually verse 16, but uh, we're going to get to verses 19 and 20, which have become really popular verses in what generally is known as the Great Commission, uh, especially in the evangelical church. So, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 28. If you have a digital version or you want to scroll or click to Matthew 28, that works too. And uh, I'm going to read and we'll get into it. Actually, where are we? There it is. Perfect. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the verses for this week, uh, I've had some interaction with these verses throughout my life. And to be honest, uh, I've had some hang-ups with them. Uh, this, this beautiful passage known as the Great Commission. Has, has anyone ever heard of the Great Commission? Just by a show of hands, the Great Commission. All right, a few of you. And then has anyone ever heard a sermon preached on these verses uh, like I have? Because for me, I would hear a sermon preached on this, and then what I think started out as conviction would then turn to guilt and then to shame. Uh, so let's do a quick survey here. Anyone here ever heard a sermon on the Great Commission and then felt convicted, then felt guilty, and then felt a little bit of shame for not doing what they felt like they were supposed to be doing? Anybody? A few of you. Okay. I'm not the only one. If if it's true that you've never heard a sermon on these verses that I'm celebrating with you today, uh, because I think these verses are actually really exciting, comforting, encouraging, but 
if you're like me or you're just, uh, you know, too lazy or embarrassed to lift your hand and you have heard a sermon and you do feel that guilt or that shame, then I'm celebrating again because I want you to see these verses in a new light that perhaps you haven't seen before. And here's what I, here's what I mean by that. Uh, and you can, you can kind of decide if you identify with me on this or not. Um, growing up, I had a particular understanding of what these verses meant. When you hear a sermon or someone like me, a pastor or a preacher, talk about the Scripture, you're getting that person's interpretation of the Scripture. You guys understand that, right? Right now, you're going to get my interpretation of these passages. Uh, and in the past, you've received other people's interpretations of the passages. Uh, but this first verse, um, we are to make disciples of all nations. You know, I had a particular way of interpreting that passage. Uh, remember, we're always interpreting the text, so let me give you the shortened version. It meant for me that I'm supposed to share my faith. And particularly with people that don't know Jesus, and particularly maybe even people I've never met. So when it was to make disciples of all nations, I read it as uh, share your faith, especially with strangers that you, that you have never met and those that live in other countries that have never heard of Jesus, okay? That's what I heard when it was make disciples of all nations. John, you need to share your faith, be a witness, and it, especially to people, to non-Christians, and though my friends were included in that category, my non-Christian friends, it was actually more people that I just never, like people on the street that I didn't know, and then those in other countries that had never heard of Jesus. That's what I read in that verse. Uh, and then there's this part about baptizing them in the name of the Father, and that part I felt like was more get them to a church or to a pastor so they can be baptized once they convert to Christianity. That's what I read, okay? So I'm just giving you Esh's sort of interpretation of what I felt like I was handed or at least what I got out of all the sermons and, and messages that were given to me. Um, get them to a church or to a pastor so they can be baptized once they convert to Christianity. Um, and then verse 20, uh, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, right? Like if that felt sort of impossible, but in my mind it was don't have sex before you get married, don't do drugs, don't get in fights, don't cuss, be nice to people, try not to judge. That's not an exhaustive list. <laughs> but it was at least that. Teach them to do these things, to behave in this way, to modify their behavior to look like a Christian would look. Uh, and then uh, the second half, that the part where he was with us to the very end of the age, uh, in my mind, it's, I'm not alone in this. Jesus is with me through the power of his spirit. But I got to be honest, I felt alone because uh, I felt like it was all on my shoulders solo, that this commissioning was just for me. Uh, so that's how I understood it. And to be honest, I wasn't really good at part one of sharing my faith with perfect strangers and people in other countries. So parts two and three and four, didn't, I didn't really get to those all that well. But if we look at what Jesus is saying here just at first glance, and you have that history like I have that history, then you're probably going to hear this sermon and feel guilty, right? Man, you, you guys really aren't evangelizing enough. There's some empty seats in here. 
you know, uh, what have you been doing all week? And it was like, what was pinned on me was, think of all the things that Jesus did for you. I mean, he died on the cross for your sins. What are you doing for him? And that, it works in church. That, that kind of motivation, it works. Unfortunately, I don't think it works well, but it works. I can guilt trip you guys into like, oh, my pastor said I got to like talk to my coworker here and it's going to be super awkward. Here we go. And maybe that does need to happen for you. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to do stuff like that. And sometimes we need that prompting to just talk. But I'm not here to lay guilt. I want to free you up. I want to see you living life to the full because I, I don't think that Jesus' primary goal was to convert people to Christianity. Uh, and before I go any further... I'm not against that interpretation of the passage. I'm not against it. It's a perfectly acceptable interpretation of the passage. But I've heard those sermons, and I want to offer you something different. I want to come at it at a different angle. I think you've heard this sermon about how you could be doing more and evangelizing more and being more bold in your faith. Have you not heard that sermon? If you haven't, I just gave it. Okay? There it is. But I want, I want to come at it from a different angle, which I think is beautiful. And I want to set some of you free that I think maybe feel weighed down by these verses like I did for so many years. So let's just back up to verse 16 and 17. John, if you can go back to that first slide of the whole passage. Um, yeah, oh, this is where we're going today. Shame on you. There it is. Fake news, an apprentice. Will you convert? Who are you talking to? I believe and I do. Being and relating, F the world. And it's on us. Uh, so it should be fun. Kind of looks like a vase if you squint your eyes or a fish going down. Um, so go back to the verse uh, that, the, that we're on today, the passage. There it is. Okay. Then the 11 disciples, who's there? The 11 disciples, right? Okay. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, who's they? The 11 disciples. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Matthew just felt like it was a good idea to throw that little one in there. I wonder if he knew. I bet he knew. Maybe he was one of them. He's writing it. Some, some people doubted. I don't know who they were, but some of them. What? Some doubted? I feel like I just for however many years, just glazed right over that little passage. It's the 11 disciples and Jesus, and they see him, they're worshiping him, but some of them are like, I don't know. I'm not so sure. Some doubted. Just, I mean, let's put that into perspective just a little bit. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with this first century story, of a man who called himself Jesus. There's this religion known as Christianity. It's predicated on the idea that this man named Jesus was the incarnation of the creator God who lived this amazing life and then was crucified on a cross but then rose from the dead. And apparently there were witnesses, 11 of them, who saw them and more as we've come to find out in Scripture after he had risen from the dead. 
First they saw him crucified, then they saw him alive, risen from the dead, and some of them doubted. Some of them doubted. And then it's after this we get to Jesus's, what we would have from Matthew to be his last words from, to us, uh, go and make disciples, go for it. Go make some learners out there and immerse them in this triune understanding of God, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and observe, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. See, to some degree, I think we have a tendency to over-spiritualize this whole transaction in this verse here. Uh, I'm not saying it's, a spirit, it's not a spiritual transaction, but we tend to over-spiritualize it. And let me tell you what I mean by that. We have, I think, relegated salvation to this idea that if we just, if we simply pray the prayer of salvation and make an agreement about certain doctrines, that I believe the story is true. I'm in then they'll be saved. Now, again, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform people's lives and do that through an act like that. But I've also seen people do that and their lives look much different. We've based a lot of it on what we believe. So I believe that a kale salad and water is better for me for a snack than an in-and-out milkshake. It's better for my body, I believe that. But, <laughs> oftentimes I will choose the in-and-out milkshake over the kale salad. Do I not then, am I then saying I don't believe it? Like I don't, I don't believe in the kale salad. No, but my life does not always reflect what I proclaim to believe. You follow me here? So, if we just say, I believe in Jesus that he's my savior and that he came and died for my sins, but then we're not living into that reality, then there's a disconnect, okay? Our belief either isn't that strong or we don't actually know it, have the knowledge of it in the way that we need to. We don't have the wisdom, that knowledge in action. So we have been commanded to... Uh, make disciples. If you've been here with me these last four weeks, when I was talking about my conversation with sort of an elder in the faith, and he asked me, what, what are the requirements that Jesus gives for being a disciple? And I felt, ter I felt terribly short of giving even one correct answer to his question. I felt really small, embarrassed. And here's the thing, the word disciple, uh, it means learner or student or apprentice. Okay? So it doesn't mean sealed for eternal glory. That's not what it means. It actually just means student, apprentice, learner. And this is what we're asked to do. Make learners or students or apprentices of all the nations. See, I'd, I would argue we hear this verse, make disciples of all nations, and we immediately get down on ourselves. Man, I really need to work on my witness. I got to start sharing my faith more. I should need to work on my testimony. I'm not sure if I've ever led someone to the Lord. And maybe not in the way that that traditional passage teaches it or your understanding of it, but perhaps you have led people to the Lord. 
so we hear the words of Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations. And you get down on yourselves, but that's because you've heard it from people like me and they've handed you a little bit of guilt and shame. And I don't want to do that. So let's look at these. I just have a few questions. Did Jesus want to convert people to Christianity? That's a big one, right? If that's what we read in the Gospels, we should get to work. Did Jesus want to convert people to Christianity? I want to say just one thing about converts. When, when you convert someone in the sense that we often mean it, uh, I'll give you the dictionary definition. To cause to adopt a different religion, political doctrine, or opinion. That's the dictionary definition. Convert. So I think the question is whether or not that was what Jesus was trying to do. Was Jesus trying to get people to convert from Judaism to Christianity? If so... Where did you find that? And where is that language in the scripture? So let's just read a little bit more. Um, there's a passage in the scriptures where Jesus says something about converting people. He's talking to religious leaders in the church of his day. And Matthew 23, 15, I think we have it here. Uh, he says, woe to you teachers of the law. That would be people that were well-versed in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And Pharisees, that would be Eshes and Boogs and pastors and preachers. Uh, you hypocrites. Ouch. Thanks. Uh, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Quote Jesus. So I just, I'm just submitting to you that he's not interested in converts, but something bigger, deeper, more expansive, more powerful, okay? Remember, those are the, this is to me. <laughs> Whenever I hear about a Pharisee or a teacher of the law, I'm like, I just got to put my own name in there. Just let that sink in. We're not trying to get people to adopt our religion how can that be? Because I don't believe that religion is what Jesus came to bring. Now, you're free to disagree with me on this, and many will, but I think that Jesus came to bring something else, and I will call that thing life, okay? We can read in John 10, 10. I think I have it in there, or maybe not. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Quote, Jesus Life, as I understand it, is the, is the air that we're breathing, that we experience all around us, the beauty, relationships, nature. Jesus says, I want you to have this full kind of life, expansive. So when you read the scripture, what you see over and over again is Jesus inviting people into a particular kind of life right here, right now. Oh, that you would enter the kingdom Oh, that you, had, you would have eyes to see and ears to hear what's really going on here. Turn, repent from your way of seeing the world and enter in to my way of seeing the world where it's ordered according to my purposes and my goodwill. Now, who's he talking to? This is the second question I want to get into. Who's in the scene? I already told you the 11 disciples and Jesus, right? So presumably, who is Jesus talking to when he gives this statement? 
the 11 disciples, right? Uh, what have these 11 disciples been doing? For the last three plus years, give or take, they've been following Jesus around all day long, okay? They've been traveling with him, eating with him, camping with him, healing with him, learning from him, studying with him, listening to him preach, watching him interact with all sorts of people. They've been alongside him for healings. Uh, he's been interacting with imperial guards, Samaritan women, demon-possessed men, high-ranking Jewish officials, homeless people, sick people, dead people, rich people, poor people. And they've been right there with him the whole way. That's what they've been doing. It's just interesting <laughs> that then some of them doubted. He came back from the dead, and they're still like, I don't know. And we walk around thinking, well, if Jesus was here, then I'd be in. Then I would really, you know, if he was walking around today, you know, like if he just showed up at branches, then I would change my life and live differently. Some of them doubted. And Jesus seems to insist that this is his body right here. This is it. He is here. In Mark 3.14, it says that Jesus chose the 12. He appointed them first and foremost to be with him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and to do these other things, teaching and preaching and casting out demons. But first it says this, that they might be with him. Some of you in here married, been married, or will someday be married in a relationship? Anybody in here have parents, siblings? Uh, someone that you spend a significant time with day in, day out? You know what happens, right? You start to take on each other's characteristics, sense of humor, you start to like finish each other's sandwiches. <laughs> Shout out. What was that movie? Mm -hmm. Anyway, you know what it's like to live day by day. Like, there are times when I'm teaching and I literally hear my dad. My dad's sitting right here. I literally think, I'm my dad. I sound just like him. I tell a story just like him. I'm him. I make the same faces. I laugh like he does with a similar smile. All these things I just think, Man, and I can laugh like my mom, too, sometimes. <laughs> you're, it's like you, you begin to know them, really know them. Like you're in the car with that person, and you're waiting for a spot at Target, and the guy pulls out, and then someone kind of just gets in right before you, and you kind of brace yourself in the car because you know that person you're with is about to lose their stuff on that person that pulled. You know, it's like you're... You're walking down the boardwalk in Laguna and Main Beach and you see a homeless person with a sign and you know even before you look at your significant person that they're already in their wallet looking for a bill to give to this person because that's the kind of person they are. You just know like, oh, what, how much this time? You know, you, you know them, right? Like you just, you know them. There's, there's those little things. You're, you're out and you know that they haven't eaten and you're going to go pick up some food and you know what they want already. You're just bringing it home. You don't even have to ask. 
You know what they're like, how they talk, how they make decisions, how they treat people, the depth of their character, their likes, their dislikes, their hobbies, their loves, their wounds, their hurts, their insecurities, all of it. So now think about Jesus and his followers, his apprentices, his students, his learners, his disciples. They've been with Jesus for three years or so, day in, day out. They've watched him in countless situations, how he handles downtime, how long he spends in prayer, how he treats the disabled people, how he treats women, how he treats his enemies, how he treats his friends, what it's like to hear him speaking to the crowds. He's been performing miracles. They're soaked in his life. Jesus has spent three or so years putting together this little group. One of them betrayed him. Some of them doubted. He's been modeling for them what this dance of humanity looks like, what it means to bear the image of the divine. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It looks like this. No one is going to come to this connection to God except through me like this. So what Jesus did was he gathered a few people to be in relationship with him. He formed their character over time. See, knowing the right doctrines and doing the right things can only take you so far. So much of our discipleship focuses on making sure people have all the right beliefs and right behaviors, but it's also about the transformation of our hearts and our characters and our relationships with God and with each other. Here's the thing I just want to close with, a couple things. We're calling people to a particular kind of life all the time by the way that we live our life. We're constantly communicating to the world through our own lives how we live them. Where life comes from, what brings us joy, what's important. We wear it right here on our foreheads. We know exactly what people are about as we begin to spend time with them. And you can read it from person to person, right? Oh, I, I get it. I, I read you. I read you. It's written right there. I want to share a quick story from uh, Father Gregory Boyle, homeboy chips, if you've ever had those. Uh, He does some great ministry with gangs up in LA in his book, Tattoos on the Heart. If you haven't read it, go ahead and just order it on Kindle right now for $2.99 and do yourself a huge favor. He writes this, we began tattoo removal because of a guy named Ramiro. A gang member, fresh out of prison, with a long record, had F the world tattooed on his forehead, completely filling the space there. Except he didn't say F, right? He had, I'm just, there's children. He told me his job search was not going so great. (laughs) I'm only imagining him at McDonald's, do you want fries with that? and seeing mothers grab their kids fleeing the store. (laughs) So, I hired him at the bakery, and little by little we erased his forehead. We've since added many laser machines and doctors who perform more than 4,000 treatments a year. We owe it all to Ramiro, who moved on to job as a security guard at a movie studio, 
No trace left of the angriest moment of his life. What would it look like to have the angriest moment of your life tattooed across your forehead? I would argue that it's there. And Jesus is inviting you into a kind of relationship with him and with one another that would begin to offer something else to the world. We have these things tattooed on our foreheads. What are they? What do people read? Is it that fullness of life that Jesus said he came to bring? Jesus wants you then to go out and invite others and make learners of a particular way of living in the world, inviting them to be with him. Your character will show through. Just a couple quotes I want to share with you here. Uh, I like these. Use what language you will. You can never say anything but what you are, Emerson. Insincerity will always betray itself, Quintilian. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit, quote Jesus. Another last quote. We, we had heard from this guy, I think it was last week, Elton Trueblood, I, talking about fellowship and how incredibly important it is because that Jesus was saying, you guys are the salt of the earth, you. You're the ones that are going to preserve this for everyone. And if it fails, then what? Then what? He says, what we need is not intellectual theorizing or even preaching, but demonstration There's only one way of turning people's loyalty to Christ, and that is by loving others with the great love of God. We cannot revive faith by argument, but we might catch the imagination of puzzled men and women by an exhibition of a fellowship so intensely alive that every thoughtful person would be forced to respect it. If there should emerge in our day such a fellowship, wholly without artificiality and free from the dead hand of the past, it would be an exciting event of momentous importance, a society of genuine, loving friends set free from the self-seeking struggle for personal prestige and from all unreality would be something unutterably priceless and powerful. A wise person would travel any distance to join it. In our community, what are we preaching? What kind of apprentices are we making? And here's my hope for us that we continue to insist that love is stronger than hate, that hope is greater than despair, and that the good news of the kingdom of God really is good news, and it's for everyone regardless of background, ethnicity, economic status, or nationality. Think of your fellowship, and I'm not just talking about this large room, because let's all be honest, we don't do day-to-day with this large room. You have a smaller crew in your life that you walk with. There it is, those that you are with. That's what Jesus is counting on. Make learners, more apprentices, invite a few more in. There were 11, 12 that Jesus chose, one betrayed, some doubted. Live it out there is what he's saying. Immerse yourselves, baptize each other in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy, this triune, this community of love, this divine dance, this relationship of life. 
And when you read this verse, again, there are all the ways that you have heard it before, and, and those are, I'm not against those. I'm trying to give you a different take on this. Read it like this. As you go about your life, make some apprentices without prejudice. All are welcome, all nations, all ethnicities, all various religious affiliations. And soak them and immerse them in the truth of the divine relationship of God, the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus Christ. And show them what it looks like to live life to the full. As you begin to discover, as you begin to discover this life, tell others about it and invite them into it. And know that this, this Spirit of Jesus Christ is with you all as you do this. It's, it's, remember, Jesus says this to 11 people. Not, not 11 individuals, but to a group of people. He doesn't say, doesn't invite them one by one. Hey, I need to have a little talk with you. He says this to as a group of people. All of those verbs in there, and the make, and the disciple, and go, and all, they're all plural. He's speaking to them as a community, a fellowship. All the commands are plural. Plural. You do this together. You are the salt of the earth. Right here. So go and make some more learners and apprentices of this kind of life. Jesus gave three full years to the 12. Lost one and some doubted. It's not easy. It's not. I get it. But this is, this is our call to begin to live this way in the world. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, for our friends, for our brothers and sisters in here that are feeling any kind of gain, uh, guilt or shame, wrapped up in this passage, Lord, that you would free them from that. Uh, Lord, that you would invigorate them with a desire to share this life that they have found in you, in this relationship, in this community, that you stake everything on us, Lord, on our little fellowship, our little community, our little group of friends. You poured your life into those 12. And Lord, it was no small feat. And it's no small thing that we're still reading their words and following their examples so many thousands of years later now. God, give us courage to use your name, Jesus. when we want to help others make sense of where we're getting this kind of fullness of life. That it comes from these relationships that we have with one another and with you. That everything hangs on loving you and loving each other. May we live that in our day-to-day -day lives. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I actually want to be an apologist for some of the, some of the doubters in Jesus' discipleship group because 
I mean, I've seen David Copperfield, and I've seen him take the Statue of Liberty and make it vanish, and it's not there, and no, like, hey, wait a second, you know, I mean, at this point, you know, you know, no one's ever seen a guy resurrect, right? I mean, he's a Middle Eastern dude. I'm a Middle Eastern dude. If I put on a beard and had, like, whatever they used to wear, tunics, or, no, they didn't wear tunics back then, whatever, and I put me next to a bunch of other Middle Eastern guys with beards that look sort of like me, you're like, hey, that could have been Max, or that could be Max, or that could be Max. So maybe they were thinking, Jesus got, someone's doubling like Jesus, and Never mind. <laughs> That's, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna go into that, but this is gonna come around, all right? So one of, one of, the, one of the things, one of the things, uh, one of the things that's difficult about a sermon like this is that you wanna leave, and John was saying, you know, I want to remove that shame, that guilt and shame, but part of it is, is you hear something like that and you hear about fellowship and, being with the people of Christ and being discipled, and you're like, I, I feel like I can't do that. For someone like me who is just loud and obnoxious, it's really easy for me to jump into a situation like anything and just blend in or blend in and jump into fellowship with people. But I know that there are people out there that it's really difficult. That's a that's that's a tough thing. Like, how do I get involved? How do I how do I get into this fellowship? I'm new at branches. Um, I've learned so much from guys like Russ Landreth and Greg McLaughlin and just their wisdom and love and spending time with John Eshelman, just being discipled by spending time with them. Guys like Todd Metzger, who if you spend any time with him, um, is possibly the only other person that is more loud and obnoxious than I am, but loves people so much that he will jump out and just hey, you know, have, uh, you know I, do you want to come over to Branches? Do you want to spend some time with you? He, he is, I mean, just embodies love. Um, and, but how do you get to know people like that without going out there? Well, one of the ways I would suggest is stuff like the softball game that we're going to have in September. Come out, meet us, even if you're new. Uh, the men's Gaviota trip. There are people who showed up last year that didn't know a person, but they came out and they've gotten involved because they put themselves out there. And for those of you that are loud and obnoxious like me, be mindful of those who are quiet, <laughs> those who need to be listened to, and those who are shy to come out to those things. And make them feel loved and not like, you know, not like they're not part of this thing because there's lots of, there's lots of you guys out there. Um, anyhow, with that being said, let's all live together, let's all love together, and let's spend time in Christ's love. So with that, I uh, wanna close in a word of prayer. Lord God, I know that fellowship is hard sometimes. It is hard to find it. It's hard to be part of it because we stumble over each other. I'm so thankful for your grace when we do.
I'm so thankful that you love us and you're over, over that. And I pray, Lord, that this week that you will follow us and be with us and help us to see your love through you and through your people, Lord. Amen.